Well, welcome to worship on this Sunday morning. We're so glad that you're here with us to worship the Almighty King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And we are here to lift his name higher and higher this morning and give him honor and glory and praise for how he's working in each of our lives. Uh, we all come in different we're in different places this morning. Maybe we're in a time that we're struggling, or maybe it's a good time in our life. But we want to worship and praise God no matter what here at First Baptist Pineville. And we're glad that you have chosen to be a part today. You may have noticed in your worship guide this morning that there is no blue card in there anymore. And so we have a communication card. You can just tear it right out. And at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to pass those in. And um, if you're a guest, we ask that you meet our pastor here in the foyer um, after worship so you can get to know him and we can get to know you a little bit better and so we can know how to serve you better. Bow with me as we pray this morning. Oh God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you are our king forever and we pray that we would lift you higher and higher and higher this morning. May we give you honor and praise for everything that's said and done here this morning, Lord God. May we focus our attention on you. May we not be distracted for the message that you have for us this morning, God. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. a heart that's beating your love is an angel's wings your love is a boat that sails on a never-ending breeze your love is a sunset fire your love is a melody your love is the grace that brings a sinner to his knees i need your love your love, I need your love to stand with me. Your love is a newborn life, a fire in the winter's cold. Your love is the bread and wine that breaks to make me whole. Your love is a king returning beneath the banner of victory. Your love is the chains of a prisoner finally falling free. I need your love. Your love. I need your love to stay with me. I need your love. always a promise and your promises are true I need your love when the flames consume me I need it when my heart breaks I need it as a still small voice when the earth around me shakes. I need your love, your love. I need your love to stay with me. I need your
I am thankful for that truth today. We need the love of the Lord today, amen? And we'll hear that in our message today, how the love of the Lord transferred to another man and made his life completely different. We sing to our God and King today, amen? You know this song, all creatures of our God and King, and it is well with my soul. Why don't you stand and let's sing together. All creatures of our God and King. Oh. 
Amen. You may be seated. People hurting, people broken, beaten down and feeling hopeless. Wonder if it's gonna always be this way. Who will speak up for the captive? Show some love and heal a past that binds the wounds we think will never go away. But what if we could be a people on our knees as one before the king? Cause we believe. When the church starts praying, strong walls start to break. Oh, when we pray, prison walls start shaking at the sound of praising. Nothing stays the same. Oh, when we pray, oh, 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 when we pray, oh, oh, oh. I see revival rising. I see hope on the horizon as a generation stepping out of faith because we will be a people on our knees as one before the king because we believe hey. all the world starts changing when the church starts In your worship guide today is the week of prayer guide for state missions and the Georgia Barnett State Missions Offering. And I hope that this week you'll be praying for mission work around and throughout Louisiana. You saw in the video just some of the things that are happening. You'll read more about some of those things in the prayer guide uh, and even some things that happen close to home like the restart of Horseshoe Baptist Church in um, Alexandria as a satellite campus of our sister church here in uh, DeVille, uh, Philadelphia Baptist Church. They're doing great things bringing that church back to life and we get to be a part of that even though it's not our church but it's still in central Louisiana and throughout Louisiana we get to be a part of so many different things that are happening including the church that we help sponsor uh, down in Plosheville. Point of Life is a recipient of gifts through the Georgia Barnett State Missions Offering and be sure to uh, give sometime this month to that offering. Our church goal is $13,000. The goal for the state convention is $1.7 million and 100% of that goes to help do work like church planning, disaster relief, student scholarships, and much, much more throughout Louisiana. And we want to be a big sponsor and supporting church of this because Janie Wise, this uh, women's and missions ministry director, who's, this is her baby, uh, she's a part of our church. And so we want to make sure that we're standing behind Janie and all of Louisiana Baptist as we move forward with this. As we prepare to receive this morning's offering, Begin praying about what you and your family will give to the George Barnett State Missions Offering. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful today for the blessing that we have of being gifted with so much and that we can share that with others. And so, Lord, we share first with our, uh, to you through our church's ministries, and we thank you, God, for uh, all the things and all the doors that you've given us to minister to this surrounding community and throughout the world. And we pray, Lord, that as we give, you will take those gifts and multiply them for your kingdom's purposes. But, Lord, we also want to be faithful this month to give to the Georgia Barnett State Missions Offering. And, Lord, I pray that we would do our very best to give generously so that this year's goal can be matched and mission work can take place throughout Louisiana. Lord, we submit ourselves to you, and we give back to you as a gratitude of all that you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
that's good stuff, huh? Amen. And it's great, did you? If you heard that little extra instrument today, it's good to have Caleb Turner back playing sax for us. And so, Caleb, great job this morning. We've got another blessing today. We had some of our military guys uh, come back off of being deployed for the last year. Nick Wass, uh, who's played sax with us, is back, and Caleb Huff. And so uh, let's give those guys a hand for their service to our country. They have not been in easy places, and so we're grateful that they're home safely, and we rejoice with you guys and you being back with us. The man was born blind. He had never seen anything. He had never enjoyed the blossoming trees of spring. He had never seen the vivid fall leaves. His heart had never been warmed by the hope of a sunrise or the peace of a sunset. Never had he encountered the precious, loving smile of a little child. He had never seen anything. Once he grew up, there was no support services, no disability. There was just the man and his blindness, and so he lived hand to mouth with little hope except for a lifetime of begging. And therefore, each day, he left his parents' home in the morning and slowly made his way down the well-known path. He knew the number of steps, the feeling of each stone under his feet. He could tell where he was in the city by the smells and sounds that came from the homes along his route. Arriving at his spot each day, he sat down to begin his day's work. Begging isn't really work, but it was all the work he had because it's all he could do. So there he sat, day after day, hoping the compassionate would throw a few coins his way. And every single day, he sat hoping to make it one more day in darkness. Our text today is John chapter 9. And today we encounter one of the most memorable stories of Scripture. And there's a spoiler alert. This man won't be blind by the end of the story. But you either knew that already or expected as much. And that's okay because the spoiler is fine because the miracle is not the point of the story anyway. It's the message behind the miracle that's the point of the story. Remember that every miracle Jesus performed had a message. He didn't just go through the streets healing everybody that came up. He healed for a purpose. And so as we journey through this story, I, I want you to have a pen in hand and, and underline certain words. And I also want you to notice the progression of this man's relationship and understanding of Jesus. He goes from blind to seeing, yes, but there's way more to his story than just that. Our focus point today is that it doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you believe. John will take us on a journey through this miracle. And he's going to take us through the same journey he's taken us in other encounters of a person with Jesus. He's going to ask and answer three questions through the story. Jesus, who are you? Jesus, what do you offer? And Jesus, how do I get it? We left the man sitting and waiting and hoping. Let's encounter his story in verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? It's interesting that the only miracle in the Gospels where the sufferer is said to have been born blind is this one right here. And that note is probably intentional on John's part to 
to show us that this miracle really happened. It's meant to enhance the power of the miracle. If the man had been struck blind by an accident or by some disease, someone could reason, well, perhaps it just happened to come back when Jesus touched him. But when an adult who has been born blind starts to see after an encounter with Jesus, the miracle is undeniable. As Jesus is going along, notice he sees the blind man. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus sees even though the man does not. It reminds me of that great name of God in the Old Testament, El Rohi, the God who sees. Because God in Jesus is walking along and he sees this man. And perhaps Jesus first heard the man before he even saw him. The man sitting there begging, help a blind man, blind since birth, no job, can you help anybody? And so Jesus looks his way. And as he does, his disciples look that way too, and they ask a question. But their question is not, Jesus, should we give him something? Or Jesus... Can you heal this man? The question is, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he should be born blind? It's an odd question, don't you think? I mean, have you ever walked through the hospital and said, Who sinned? These people or their parents that they should be up in here? It's a weird question. Why would you ask that question? It's because that was the theological bent of the day. Many people believe that if you suffered, you must have sinned, especially when it came to a major illness or a malady. So even though the Old Testament book of Job teaches to the contrary, here still in the first century, there were people who thought, man, if you suffer, you must have done something. But further... People believe that God would visit the punishment of parents and grandparents to the third and fourth generation of their descendants. So your papas, your mamas, your mama and your daddy better have been good people who loved Jesus or loved the Lord or else you were going to have a rough life. But it didn't end there. You see, the question reveals another odd belief. How could this guy's own sin cause him to be blind since birth? It would mean he would have had to sin in utero. Well, guess what? Some rabbis even taught that an infant could sin in the womb. In fact, something we consider as a great joyful thing, a baby kicking was believed to be a sign of the baby's sinfulness. So, I don't know if it was like this, but I imagine that when, if somebody believed this, when the baby kicked inside the mama, instead of the mama saying, oh honey, come touch, come feel, the baby's kicking, expecting moms instead looked at their bellies and said, stop it, you little demon child. <laughs> kind of changes things, doesn't it? So that's why the disciples asked such a weird question. But don't be too hard on them. Because we do a similar thing. You see, while they were asking for the reason connected to sin, when it comes to difficulties in our life or our loved one's life, we often ask a question connected to anything else. When something difficult happens to you or your loved ones, don't you ask why did this happen? Why did this happen? That's essentially what they were asking. Life happens and the question inevitably comes, why did this happen? Unfortunately, the reason for some dilemmas can neither be found nor explained. Our new Sunday night home group study, Acts of God, is going to deal with the rough situations of life. I mean, it gets real. If you live a real life, which all of us do, 
You need to be a part of this study because it's going to help us know how to deal with that. Come tonight, see the movie that in the background of the study and, and sign up for a home group. We all struggle with that question. Why? The disciples figured that the answer was that someone had sinned. And sure, ultimately, all suffering in the world is the result of Adam's fall into sin. His and Eve's initial sin opened the door that brought sin and death into the world. But not every problem or suffering is because of that individual's sin. Some things come upon us simply because we live in a fallen world. And neither is everything caused by God, nor is everything caused by Satan. So don't blame God for everything that happens to you. And don't give Satan more credit than he's due. Because some things just happen because we live in a fallen world. And that was probably the case with this man. Notice Jesus' reply in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sin. God, Jesus is not saying that they had never sinned individually. He's saying, no, that's faulty thinking. Then he continues. This happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, be careful here as you read verse 3. Jesus is not saying that God made this man blind so that Jesus could come up, come up some 20 years later and heal him. Jesus is saying that God is about to show up and show out in his works in a mighty way through this man. Only God knows why babies are born with handicaps. Only God, though, can turn those handicaps into something that will bring good to the people and glory to his name. There are plenty of people who have seen God use their dilemma... To give them greater influence or blessing. You know the story of Helen Keller. Which is fascinating that as though she was blind and deaf. She was able to later communicate amazing wisdom. Joni Erickson Tata has been given a wide platform of ministry. Because of her paralysis. I love what one commentator pointed out. He said any kind of suffering is an opportunity to demonstrate the glory of God in our own lives. Wow. And that's going to happen for this man. Because he's going to find his story recorded in the world's best-selling book. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. God does great things. You see, we need to change the question from God, why did this happen? To God, what do you want to happen through this? Change the question, God, why did this happen? To God, what do you want to happen through this? Because no matter how dark your night, if Jesus is present, he brings light into your night. Amazing work gets done during the day. And into this man's night, Jesus came. As Calvin Miller says, man's questions are no match for God's mysteries. Are you ready for a miracle? Well, here it comes. Verse 6. Having said this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man meant, went and washed and came home seeing. Just before Jesus touched him, this man overheard someone say, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he felt air move past him as someone approached him. He felt as someone knelt beside him. He heard him spit into the ground. 
He heard fingers in the sand around him. And he felt a presence coming close to him just before he felt dampness and grit on his eyes. And then he heard the man say, go wash in the pool of Siloam. What's with the spit and mud? By the way, the Greek word for spit is patuo. You'll never forget that one. Jesus healed several blind people in Scripture. But how he healed each one is different. There's, uh, once he healed two blind guys just by touching them. Another, he healed by just putting spit on their eyes. And this man, he makes mud out of spit and puts it on the eyes. I don't know about you, but I'd prefer to have been the guys Jesus just touched. (laughs) But interestingly, there are some ancient connections to the healing properties of spit. I mean, even today, if you get a paper cut, what's the first thing you do? I don't know, something inside us. There may be something to it. There may be something to Jesus mixing the spit with the, the mud and putting it on his eyes. But, but why alter the method all of these different times? I think it's so we wouldn't miss the message. Because you see, if every time Jesus healed somebody, he made mud or spit in their eye or something, we would be trying to figure out the concoction. For 2,000 years, we would all be given spit samples We'd have dug up half of Jerusalem to have all the dirt to make some mud. And we would be, oh, then going to the pool of Siloam and draining that thing dry, bottling up the water. Why the change? Because Jesus didn't want us to focus on the method. He wanted us to focus on the miracle, but not even focus on the miracle. He wants us to focus on the message behind the miracle. I wonder how the man felt as he slowly got up from his begging spot and he started feeling his way to another place he knew quite well, the pool of Siloam. This pool was a man-made pool that was fed by aqueducts that were directed to it from a, a spring that were elsewhere. And so you see that the scripture says the name Siloam means sent and it got the word sent because the water in the pool had been sent there. There was nothing particularly special about the water. It was not like the pool of Bethesda where the lame man was healed that had all of that lore around it about healing properties of the pool and an angel descending and stirring the waters. This was just a pool. But it was at the scent pool that this man would find healing. And don't miss that. Don't miss the fact that Jesus, the scent One, sent to be the Savior, sent this man to the sent pool to be healed. It's subtle, but it's a reminder of who Jesus is. The man goes. I wonder what he thought as he felt his way there. Will this work? And what will happen if it does work? I wonder if he he heard people asking, why is there mud on that guy's eye? As he came to the pool, he crept to the edge, feeling his way to the water. He dipped his hands down in and he washed his face. And then again until he didn't feel any more grit or mud on his eyes. And and finally, he opened his eyes. And light slammed into his pupil. All around he saw stones and people and trees and and the the water. I I can see. And he ran home following and and pausing every now and then to go, Oh, that's what that house looks like. Oh, that's what, what all of this looks like that I know so well in darkness. And he went home and he said, Mom, Dad, I can see. And the whole neighborhood was rejoicing. But they were confused too. Because after all, one, no one had ever seen something like this. And we see in verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? 
Some claimed that it was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Some things to underline and note. The question how, in verse 10... His reply, the man they called Jesus in verse 11, and his statement, I don't know, at the end of verse 12. Imagine the situation. No, it's really me, guys. <laughs> I left home this morning blind as a bat, blind as ever. I was at my begging post. This guy everybody calls Jesus came up, made some mud, put it on my eyes, told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I did. Now I can see. And by the way, y'all don't look anything like I thought y'all did. Where is this man Jesus, they ask? I don't know. When a healing occurred, it was policy to bring the person to be examined. So they brought him to the Pharisees. And here we find that there was a big uh-oh and a oh-no that had happened Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. And now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Mm -mm. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how, underline that, he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Notice the work that Jesus had done on the Sabbath. He had made mud and opened the man's eyes. And notice the work that the man had done. He had washed and he had had to go to the pool. The Jews had strict, strict Sabbath laws. I mean, even today, there are Sabbath elevators that stop on every floor because it's work to push a button. On this Sabbath, Jesus had healed a man. And what's wrong with that? Well, according to those Sabbath laws, medical attention could only be given if life was in actual danger. And even then, it must only be done in such that the patient doesn't get any worse. Throw a Band-Aid on it, pray he makes it through the night. You couldn't even set a broken limb on the Sabbath. So this guy had been blind since birth. So heal him on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But don't you dare heal him on the Sabbath. Well, despite Jesus' law-breaking, the miracle caused a debate among the Pharisees about who Jesus was. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. He can't be. No, he must be. He can't be. No, he must be. And so they go again to the blind man in verse 17. They turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that were opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Underline that. Hey, blind man, or I uh, used to be blind man. Uh, some of us don't think Jesus is from God. Some of us do. So help us clear this up a little bit. You, you were the one that was healed. What do you think? Who is this Jesus? He's a prophet. Then the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had since received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see, underline how, 
We know, underline no, he is our son, the parents answered. And we know, underline no, he was born blind. But how, underline how, he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know, underline it. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And that was why his parents said, he is of age, asked him. The Pharisees still couldn't believe that this man was healed, so they pulled his parents in and they asked him two questions. One, is this indeed your son that was born blind? And two, how was he healed? They answer the first question very easily. Yes, this is our son. He was born blind. But they skirt the answer to the second question. Because if they would have said, well, Jesus did it, they would have been thrown out of the synagogue. And they needed to be in the synagogue because the synagogue was the center of religious and social life. And so they punt and they say, ask him. He's the one that was healed. So the Pharisees go back again to the blind man. This is now the third time they've asked him. And the fact that the Pharisees studied this miracle so closely is pretty good evidence that something really happened. But this time they put the man under oath with an oath formula. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Now look at the man's response. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Underline no in 24 and the two no's in 25. Guys, I don't know whether the man's a sinner or not. (laughs) I just met him when he knelt down and put mud on my eyes, but this is what I do know. This morning, I was blind, and now I can see. You know, it's, it's hard to argue with a changed life. There is no testimony so compelling, especially for those who knew the person before. When a 180 happens, there's no arguing with it. God changed a life. And so this man lays out his very simple testimony. I once was blind, but now I see. But they keep on asking, and they keep on in their favorite question once again in verse 26. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Underline how again. And now, this next reply of the blind man is one of my favorite statements in Scripture. I've told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? This guy was a smart aleck to the religious smart alecks. But there again, notice how he's moving them forward. And they don't like his response. They took it as smart aleck. So look at verses 28 and 29. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, underline that. But as for this fellow, we don't even know, underline that, where he comes from. And here comes smart aleck response number two. Verse 30, the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This guy has better theology than the theologians. And underline the words no in that passage there. Look, guys, God only listens to the godly people who do his will. Nobody like me has ever had this happen to him. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. But, guys, he most certainly did something. 
because I can see you. Hmm. Underline the statement in verse 33. If this man were not from God. That's important. Do you see the progression this man is making in his relationship with Jesus? Jesus started out as the man they called Jesus. Then he is called a prophet. And now he is said to be from God. To this point, this man has not even seen Jesus. To him, Jesus was just a voice and a touch. But already this man has moved from Jesus being just the man they call Jesus to a prophet to one sent from God. And at this, the Pharisees dismissed the man in verse 34. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Did you notice they just revealed their belief as to why he was blind? Steeped in sin from birth. Even a mighty work of God done in broad daylight can be missed by the most religious who are dwelling in darkness. So the man heads back into the streets and he meets Jesus. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. In verse 35, verse 36, and verse 38, underline believe. And circle the word Lord in verse 38. Until this man... Until this moment, the man had not even seen Jesus for himself. The man knew Jesus' voice. Jesus asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, if I knew him, who he was, I would believe. And Jesus says, well, here here I am. And he says, Lord, I believe. Jesus, who are you? I'm the Son of Man. Jesus, what do you offer? Life and light. Jesus, how do I get it? Believe in me. The answer is not in what you know. It is in who you believe. That's why I had you underline know and believe all the way through this account. Because notice that until Jesus met the man, everyone was consumed with knowing something. But Jesus was concerned with believing. The answer to receiving Jesus is not what you know. It is in who you believe. Believing steps beyond what is known or even can be known. And it dwells in the realm of faith. Where Jesus does amazing things. Lord, I believe. This this blind man has made full progress in his faith. Jesus has gone from a man others talked about to a prophet to a man sent from God to now the man's personal Lord. The man's spiritual eyes slowly adjusted to the light of Jesus. As great as the miracle of the man's physical healing, the greatest miracle of this story was not the man's opening of his eyes to light, but the opening of the man's spiritual eyes to the light of the world. He finally got it, but everyone else missed it. We read on in 39 through 41, Jesus said, For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. The man who was blind can now see both physically and spiritually. The ones who thought they could see spiritually are blind. And no doubt, 
still confused. I think they walked away going, but how? But how? And that was their problem. I had you underline the question how throughout because that's the wrong question as well. They should not have asked how. They should have asked who. We want to understand the mechanics of the miracle instead of trusting the worker of the miracle. But it doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you believe. You can know how Jesus healed the man, but if you walk away from this encounter and don't believe in Jesus, you have discovered nothing. It doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you believe. So where are you in your faith progression? Are you hung up on the why question for your struggles? Or are you open to God demonstrating his glory in the midst of those struggles? Are you hung up on the how question? How to make something happen for you? Or are you willing to rework the letters of your question from H-O-W to to W-H-O? Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a man some other people talk about? Is he a pretty wise prophet? Is he a pretty amazing guy sent from God? Or is he your personal Lord? He needs to be your Lord. Because if he's not your Lord, you're blind. You're going to be left in spiritual blindness. And you're missing out. Jesus simply asks, do you believe? And if you believe, he'll bring you into the light. Stop dwelling in why. Stop wondering how. Turn to the who. Because it doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you believe. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you as the one who is the miracle worker. And Lord, there are physical miracles that you work, and Lord, there are spiritual miracles that you work. And God, there are many of us in this room who can rejoice in the miracle of our salvation. God, you made a way where there was no way. And God, I pray for that miracle in some other people's lives today. For in this room, there's no way everyone here knows Jesus Christ as their Lord so God, move us to salvation today. Lord, if we're consumed with the worries of the world and we're asking why and we're asking how, help us to lay those at the feet of Jesus and to allow him to work in our lives in an amazingly new way. Lord, during this time of invitation, may your Holy Spirit be free to move. Convict those who need to make a decision for you to make that decision. Move others to unload their burdens before you. Lord, do the miracle of opening blind eyes today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.